You're listening to Building the Game with Rob and Jason. It's Building the Game with Jason and Rob. For tabletop game design, you really can't go wrong. Building the Game, yeah, Building the Game. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday. February 4th, and this is episode 349. Uh, I'm Jason doing the intro here because once again, we have Rob on the Skypes because Michigan is awesome. I love uh, Michigan. is the best place to live in the whole wide world. It's the best. <laughs> so great. Uh, we also have some special guests here. I've, we've been talking this up for two episodes now, how excited we are about this interview because uh, I didn't want to put pressure on them, but I didn't tell them that till we started recording. Um, so... <laughs> But uh, these are these are two people that uh, uh, Rob and I met a long time ago. I've known them, I feel like, forever. Uh, met them through filmmaking stuff, gosh, probably over a decade ago at this point. And um, knew them from seeing them in Gen Con a lot. Uh, but they have evolved from being awesome filmmakers uh, into being awesome escape room co-owners of, uh, of a really sweet uh, escape room called Champagne Urbana Adventures in Time and Space. Uh, so tonight joining us, we have Chris and Ann Lukeman. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Glad to be here. Thanks for having uh, I'm bad at words. I'm going to shut up. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we are, uh, we're so excited to have you all here. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I was saying earlier, I can't believe we didn't get you on before because uh, talking about game design around what you guys do with escape rooms is uh, is just it's just very different than what we're used to, but it's such an interesting perspective. Um, and, and we've seen a lot of more board games coming out that have escape room themes, right? Or, you know, an escape room in a box or which obviously cannot provide what you guys provide, but, um, you know, board games are attempting to, to steal your thunder and, and failing miserably. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, there are some good ones and some bad ones, just like regular escape rooms, but yeah, yeah it's really been blowing up everywhere. Um, both physical escape rooms and the games. Well, and I think uh, the uh, the legacy kind of games are almost similar in a way to escape rooms in that it's kind of a, you play it once and then you're done. You're done. Um, good point. Good point. So uh, before we dive into talking about escape rooms specifically, uh, Rob and I were curious, what, uh, what board games uh, do you two like to play? Uh, we just had seven-player Scythe going two nights ago. I love Scythe so much. It's so fun. Yeah. Uh, so that was a good time. Um, yeah. We're always up for some Scythe. Um, we just played uh, Detective for the first time uh, last week, this week. I don't remember. Yeah, the one that made a big premiere at Gen Con last, this past year. Uh, I didn't pick it up at Gen Con, but we just picked it up for Christmas and played it. And the first case was good. That's, um, um, we play uh, Time Stories, too, which is ridiculous and escape room adjacent, but we have a ton of fun playing that with kind of our, our group of people who've been playing all the cases, or I guess they're not cases, adventures, whatever they are. Yeah, that's awesome. I've been looking at Time Stories for, for a while now, and every time I see the box, I want it, but I'm just <laughs> not sure if the reality of what that game is is something that I, that I want to play. It's real weird. I'm not going to say Time Stories is a really good game. I will say it is a very entertaining evening. And there's only so many uh, individual stories. So you 
you can't burn out on it too hard. We play once every, I don't know, three to six months, and then I'm good. But when I'm playing it, it is the funniest freaking thing. It is so entertaining. It's so weird. Uh, and there's not a lot of things like it. Yeah, it's real weird. They kind of pitch it with, like, role-playing game elements, but I don't really think you'd have to really play it a different way than we do to get into the role-playing. But it is like an intricate puzzle, a story puzzle that you're trying to put together. Mm-hmm. And it's a fair amount where you're trying to, like, game the system if you want to win. Like, you have to think about what, what are the designers thinking about, what choices they're making, and the designer, you know, the designers know you're doing that, so sometimes they'll just totally bone you over if you try and do something that's <laughs> out to win, but not narratively what you should be doing. And yeah. sometimes just the opposite. Like, yeah. Uh, also, it, the translations. I'm not sure uh, what, uh, where it's made originally, but the translations of some things into English are occasionally hilarious, and that is also very entertaining. Yeah, and they're releasing a novel. Like, not a choose-your-own-adventure book, just a novel for the lore. Uh, it's real weird. The whole thing is real weird. Yeah. Um, okay, so I still don't know if I want to play it or not. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if I can recommend it or not. I really enjoy it. I think it is so much fun. I would say if you have, like, a D&D group or something, yeah. uh, but you don't, nobody wants to put in the work to, like, run a one-shot or something, this is a nice alternative Sounds awesome. Uh, but I still don't know if I want to play it either. It's, it's a weird game. Uh, highly recommend, though, if you get into it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, we've played a few of the uh, Escape Room in a Box games you've mentioned. Um, we play, what, uh, Betrayal a decent amount. Yeah. Uh, we haven't played Legacy yet. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, we just got Betrayal Legacy, and we're super excited about that because we love both Betrayal at House on the Hill and we also have Betrayal at Baldur's Gate, so it's super fun to play both. My favorite board game of all time that no one will play with me anymore is Star Wars Epic Duels. Uh, it's a very niche game that was only released for two years and then went super high high uh, uh, price on the secondary market. It goes for like $150 on eBay. It's crazy. Yeah, for like a Hasbro licensed Star Wars tactical like one-on-one fighting game. Yeah, I've heard of that. I have not played it, but... It's, it's fun. It's not fun to play against Chris because he knows everything. He knows what all the cards are. Yeah, you can play the percentages pretty bad when you know the cards. It had, like, a big modding community for a long time. It was released during the second prequel, so it's kind of locked in time. But yeah. you can play as all the Star Wars characters up to the second prequel. Yeah, up to episode two. Uh, and, yeah, it, uh, I, I remember at Gen Con a few years ago, I walked by a table, and people had modded it to extinction. They were, like, using a Star Wars map to fight with, like, Gundam... Uh, Max with custom decks still using the same rules and the same dice for a Star Wars game. It was really weird. You can go online wow. and find custom custom decks for like every. I mean, you guys know how many named Star Wars characters there are. 
like, you know, uh, ice cream maker guy, like stuff like that. Like you can go <laughs> and find decks for everybody that people have made. It's so fun. Yeah, it's real weird. Uh, what else do we like to play? I love to play uh, Mansions of Madness. Um, I think that's super fun. It's the same kind of like sort of storytelling, sort of RPG, but in a board game and no one has to prepare for it. Uh, and uh, Cthulhu Wars is another yeah, one that Cthulhu I really love really playing. Right on. Awesome. Yeah, uh, you... you're, you're kind of speaking my language there. I like, uh, <laughs> like Mansions of Madness a lot. I love uh, Betrayal of House on the Hill. Um, so yeah, so I dig it. Awesome, and we haven't yeah, played. I think those kind of games are just so much fun because they they have a, a storytelling aspect. If you want them to, like you can really lean into it. If you want to be, uh, if you play more like a role player, uh, but you can also ignore it if you're not so much into that. I think there's there's some flexibility in there, which is kind of how escape rooms are too. Oh yeah, I never thought about that. The fact that with escape rooms, that people might actually be thinking about it as role playing. That's interesting. Um, yeah, we don't get a ton who go real hard into it, but there's an element of letting yourself fall into the theme that, you know, everybody does a little bit differently. Yeah, it depends a lot on the setting and also on the dynamics of the group that's playing, whether they're like ultra competitive, we need to win this game, or whether they're a family group that's just trying to include everyone and might get into it a little bit. Or my favorite is when we get like young professionals, high school kids, junior high kids or college kids that are like all in on a fantasy theme yeah. on a horror theme um, that still play the game you, you can't ignore the puzzles or you will not get very far right, <laughs> right. but you can do it kind of uh, in an in-world way yeah I um we, the, we went to escape room with uh, some people from work and my favorite thing that ever happened <clears throat> in my times in an escape room was a uh, uh, one of the people uh, he, this guy, he grabs this thing and he, he takes this purse and he dumps it out and he's like looking through it and someone looks over and they start helping him. And then somebody else looks over and said, dude, that that's my purse. What are you doing? <laughs> so I'm sure you've it's seen like, that kind of stuff happen all the time. That's a fun example to bring up in most of our intros that we joke around like, Hey, put your stuff in one spot or this might happen. Ha ha ha. But really it, it will happen. Like, <laughs> but really though. Slow down your game. It might make someone real grumpy. Yeah, not only is it annoying because someone going, is going for your stuff, but y'all are wasting time on the game. Come on, there are puzzles. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, well, let's uh, let's so let's talk a little bit about um, how do you guys? Where do you guys start when it comes to? Because then you have at your place, how, how many different escape rooms do you have at any given time uh, running? So at our permanent location. Uh, which is different from the Gen Con craziness we might get into. Uh, we currently have five games up, uh, five escape rooms. Um, we have a, a, a sort of haunted cabin where you're trying to dispel evil spirits, a la Big Evil Dead. Evil Dead. Um, we have a wizarding game that is great, where an evil wizard is just like berating you the entire time until you challenge him to a duel. We have a vaguely Indiana Jones sort of uh, it's kind of like Indiana Jones meets Lovecraft. It's yeah, it's a little bit like the plan of Call of Cthulhu, but like uh, we tone it down a little bit depending on the group. Yeah, uh, so that sort of game, and then we have a science fiction game uh, called Artificial Intelligence, which um, 
was actually based on a uh, loosely, loosely, loosely based on a Portal fan film handmade uh, a few years ago. Yeah, six years ago, seven years ago. Um, and then we have uh, another fantasy game called Sword of the Dragon, where you're trying to complete a bunch of challenges to claim the hero's sword, which is stuck in a stone. Yep. And uh, we just moved to a new location, so we actually have a lot of room for new games. So we are currently in the process of building more. Uh, right now, we are in the midst of a build for a game called Calling All Villains, which is a sequel to our superhero-themed game, Calling All Heroes. Yeah. So we, uh, I guess you could say we stick to genres, um, and we just kind of go all in on that. Uh, we really like weird, tropey stuff and kind of playing around in those spaces. Yeah, and that's <clears throat> I've seen that obviously a lot with the stuff you guys post on Facebook. That that's um, that for me that's one of the things that really draws me um, to wishing I could come to you guys' place <laughs> because so many of the other ones are are a lot simpler, right? You know what I mean? They they they're a lot more, I guess, mainstream. I love that you guys are doing stuff that's that's a little more tropey and different. Um, so uh, so when you when you guys sit down and you say, all right, we're gonna design uh, a, a new room. Walk me, walk us. Sorry, walk us through the process of of kind of how that starts. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, like you mentioned, our background is in narrative filmmaking. So, I think one of the things that we do a little bit differently from some escape rooms is that we really have a focus on the narrative story. Um, so, you know, we start from a genre that we've picked. Like we know we want to do a superhero game or a Dracula game or a detective game or something like that. Um, and then, you know, I think the first step for us is figuring out, you know, what are the stakes and why are the players here? What are they trying to accomplish and why? Yeah. What's compelling about the game that will cause them to talk about it later, talk about it to their friends without, hopefully without ruining too much. Um, just little aha wow moments that we build the rest of the game flow story and puzzles around. Mm -hmm. Um, the industry's changed so much since even we've gotten started too, yeah. because it's such a young industry. Even now, um, escape room started in the U S about six or seven years ago. Oh, more than that. I think seven and a half. And we started about three and a half years ago. Yeah. Um, so we were one of the first in Illinois, but now they're like, Tons. 60, 70 different companies. Yeah. I think when we opened back in 2015, there were only, I think, what, six or seven in the state? Very few in Chicago. Uh, Chicago was a slower adopter than um, kind of New York and L.A., I think, due to more restrictive, uh, uh, you know, business licensing and stuff like that. So it just exploded. It's changed a lot, yeah. Yeah, so when Escape Room started opening, it was very, very puzzle-based. And that might have been something that you have played, something that's considered more of a traditional escape room, where the aesthetics are present, but not... It's not like Disneyland. Like, the goal is to make a miniature Disney-level experience. And I think that's where the industry's moving to. Yeah. Uh, which is way different than the question you asked, but... <laughs> Uh, we always like to set out the, the history. But yeah, we try and do games that complement each other, that will deliver that sort of experience and keep people coming back without being bored that, oh, this was just like this one, or this one was just like this one. Yeah, so, you know, each game has a couple of moments where people, you know, they're wow moments. They're moments where either something very unexpected happened, you know, you always want some kind of twist or some kind of, you know, uh, turn in the, in the plot that makes people really surprised. 
Um, this could be a new room. Yeah. It could be uh, a puzzle that we know every play, every team is going to get. But every single team that comes through is like, there's no way this will work. And then they do it, and they all jump back like, whoa! <laughs> so, so kind of between, between the narrative structure that we build, just kind of the narrative outline of, like, general, like, I mean, we actually we, we do a three-act structure very similar to, you know, to when you're writing a film. Um, we kind of take that narrative of a three-act structure, put in our wow moments of puzzles or experiences that we know are going to really leave people amazed um and that's kind of the outline that we build from with the different puzzles and the different narrative elements and the different audio video uh materials that we use it just kind of all starts filling in to that outline and then of course we leave room for inspiration when we're building sometimes we um we construct something and it's very obvious after we've constructed it that it's a great place to hide something or something would be perfect there and then so we always try to leave ourselves some wiggle room uh, for improvisation as we're as we're building for where a, a new puzzle could go. Awesome. And I, I see when, when you talk about building things in props, some of the stuff, what, explain some of the bigger props you guys are using because I, I want to say that I saw a car get brought in in some uh, pictures. It's only two-thirds. Yeah. It's only two-thirds of a car. Two-thirds. Oh, only two-thirds of a car. Okay. 1978 uh, Volkswagen camper van. <laughs> um, we're uh, currently staging it as a uh, crash in the opening room for our uh, supervillain game. Like it was the site of a a battle of some kind that players have walked into right afterwards. Um, yeah, uh, Chris's dad is a car collector, but he only wanted the front part of this one, so we kind of lucked into the back two thirds. Yeah. But yeah, we have all sorts of stuff, uh, custom-made sort of arcade panel kind of things. Um, we had, uh, we built like, not quite animatronic things, but some mild animatronics. Like, uh, one of our games, uh, Talking Bird delivers hints, um, and that's just the game master, uh, on the other end of a microphone, but we've worked some animatronics into it, um. We, we really like putting NPCs into the games because that's something you really aren't seeing in escape rooms too much. Yeah, there are mm-hmm. a number of escape rooms that have actors in the rooms, but we uh, don't do that yet. What we do is uh, either video or the game master. So m- many of our games have a video component where it's, uh, so an example in our wizard game, we have a, a portrait of the wizard that comes to life and, and talks and uh, mostly just berates the players and tells them how bad they are. Uh, but we also have Raven, and we also have the game master introing the game, um, you know, in a cloak. So it it feels like there are three characters, even though there's just one game master working that game. Yeah, yeah. NPCs are fun. I think it makes the the world seem bigger. That no, that makes total sense. And um, so I lost my train of thought there. I was thinking about how cool it would be to have the wizard talking to me even if they were being mean. So, are, I know what I was going to ask. So um, because you've got the background in the film and video, are you um, are you doing a lot of that, like the video work? Are you doing that all yourselves then? Uh, we have done some of it. Mostly we're just uh, not cutting corners, but like we don't need our producer, you know, the producers that are doing great work. Well, you've met, um, I think, Thomas Nickel. Uh, he's directed, he's continued to be a mainstay of the Gen Con Film Festival. Yeah, absolutely. 
with some really, really neat stop-mo visual effects, yeah. stuff like that. So he's stayed in the video game a bit longer than we have, so it's nice to let uh, some of our friends, uh, yeah. other artists we know. Yeah, I would say, more than anything, our video background lets us know what we can do very easily and what would be annoying and tricky, and um, it, it has allows us to have our friends come in and help shoot stuff, and they can make it look really, really good in much shorter of a time. And, you know, obviously, I'm still, we're still editing uh, a lot of the stuff that they shoot. It's just that they're able to come in and, and make it look really, really, really nice. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, everything we're doing, I'm getting in Premiere, and we're, we're doing editing stuff on, so a little bit. More than anything, it just allows us to save time and communicate more effectively with the people who are shooting for us. Also, paying artists which is something that is so, so, so hard to do with independent film. Yeah, honestly, the comparison between independent film and escape room is really interesting. It's one of the things that I bring up occasionally because, you know, you put all this time and effort in independent film. You tell a story, you get all the people on set, you get it done, and then, you know, Jason, getting anyone to watch independent film is like pulling teeth sometimes, right? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's really frustrating, and so to be able to um, tell a narrative story and have artists do all this amazing work, be able to pay them really good rates to do that, and then to have people come and, and pay to play our games, to, to experience our narrative, is amazing. It's very, very fulfilling, which it's, it's, it's super cool that we're able to um, you know, actually have a business of art. That, that, is, that is really awesome. <laughs> And speaking of artists, so I've seen that you guys have constructed some pretty crazy things as well. Um, I know some stuff from the wizard uh, room you were previewing. Um, is that, are you guys making that? Are you hiring artists to do that sort of stuff as well? Um, we have a lot of like artists on staff. Most of our game masters have secondary skills that we use when games aren't running. Um, so we have about, I don't know, 12 to 15 part-time employees. Um, and a lot of them have some background in either painting or sculpture or uh, fabricating, uh, mold making. Um, and, and then we have uh, a couple of contacts, uh, independent contractors who do contractor work for us for the actual structural building part of it. So uh, between all of that, we're able to do uh, a lot of really, really cool stuff. Yeah, we do almost all of our builds in-house to some degree. Like, yeah. we don't buy a lot of off-the-shelf stuff. Yeah. Um, every once in a while we do, but... Well, no, and I think that, that helps. I mean, that makes things certainly um, more unique. You know, from the, some of the escape rooms I've seen, at least the ones in town, they're cool, but but they're not doing that. They're clearly like, oh, I can buy these antique things that'll fit here. We'll do that, you know? They're not making their own, you know, big things for the game, and that's... I think that's the extra thing that the extra mile, you know, there that's making it extra cool when you're doing it. So that's neat. Can I ask, uh, you guys were talking about that whole Disneyland feel. Can you talk more about that? Cause that, I thought that was an interesting, um, interesting concept and it's not something that would ever occur to me to think of it as, as a Disneyland feeling rather than just puzzle solving. Yeah. I mean, you know, Disney, Disneyland and Disney world are just the absolute, you know, master the epitome of, of world building in a physical space, right? Yeah. Um, to every detail is perfect. The way they build the buildings so that even though they're only a story and a half tall, they feel like they're towering over. 
Um, they do amazing work with, with um, smells and how everything looks and feels and, and the perspective and the actors. Everything is, is, you know, down to the T. The details are all perfect. And I think, um, well, I think the new Star Wars uh, park that they're putting up is going to be an even more intense version of this um, as a response to how Harry Potter World took what Disney did traditionally amazing and made it even better. So I don't know if you've been to the Harry Potter world down in yes. uh, Orlando or in California, but it's it's all of the detail and amazing, you know, uh, work that Disney does, but then it's also in-universe. So when you go into the wand store, you're not going into a, a Disney employee-owned, like, thing. You're going into the wand sto- store, and everyone's in character, and everyone is pretending like you're in the Harry Potter universe. And I think that's what Disney's going to probably do with the Star Wars stuff. And I think it's really interesting that they're going that direction. But they have historically been just the masters of, of this kind yeah. of stuff. Kind of like, broadly, uh, the experience economy is huge. Like, it's the same reason that board games have had such a resurgence in the past 10 years. Like, people want experiences with friends instead of just things. Yeah. Um, and while there have been traditional experiences like each generation's had their thing um you know uh gamers today have grown up with such awesome video games with such awesome board games that just going mini golfing or bowling doesn't cut it like uh so the whatever the current successor to laser tag which i guess is the last sort of big boom is needs to be up to the snuff of those other great activities they could just be doing at home. Yeah. Like, well, video games brings up a really interesting point. I think escape rooms and VR technology are really two sides of the same coin in terms of how game development is, is moving forward. People want a more real experience than what they're experiencing. I mean, obviously, I play a lot of video games. They're great. But if you're looking for something more real... Well, you've got two options. One is virtual reality, where it feels even more real. Or the other is escape rooms, which are basically playing Zelda in a physical room, right? You're, you're picking up the objects and putting them where they're supposed to go to solve the puzzles. Um, and I think it, both sides come from the fact that video games are so normal. They're such an everyday part of the world that we live in. Everything we do is digital. That to have a tactile experience is novel for people of our generation and younger. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Really it's interesting. interesting. That, yeah, I, I don't think of it... I, I, you're absolutely right, of course, that, you know, video games, when we were little kids, I, I don't know how old you guys are, I'm, I'm 39. When I was a little kid, my dad brought home the first Atari. It was it was mind-blowing, right? Uh, but but now it's, it's not a big deal. Everybody's got, you know, computers multiple computers hooked up to the TVs that are more powerful than the, the original Moonlanders. And, oh, and yeah. it's, just, it's just not a big deal. People are not impressed by that anymore. You're right. Hey, right. And it's, I'm not saying it's bad or anything. I, I, you know, I've been playing Let's Go uh, Pikachu all week and it has been just an absolute <laughs> blast. Um, but when, when your digital life is the norm, what you want to do in your off time is, is now something yeah. analog or tactile. Yeah, that's a fascinating perspective, and especially how you relate that to the, the resurgence of, of tabletop gaming. You're absolutely right. People are looking for a different experience, something they aren't used to getting every day at home. Mm-hmm. And, and something that I think can be done out with your friends. You know, I think as a community yeah. 
uh, activity. You want to see people in real life. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I'm now I'm thinking back to some of the escape rooms I've done. I've done I don't know I think three or four of them. Uh, and as you've been talking, I've been trying to think about my experiences at those and which ones were just strictly a puzzle. In fact, I think basically all of them were mostly just a string of puzzles. You know, for the most part, they had some kind of a narrative or, or some kind of a... It, it really was never a narrative. It was really just sort of a setting to, to give you the impression of a story. But no real story was being told in any of those cases. It's not easy to do. Yeah, that's not. And, and to some degree, like, it's always going to be partially impossible because we will get all sorts of different groups of people. So, like, railroading, uh, you know, a normal D&D gamer group that's in the escape room into doing a story is pretty easy. But, like, having a group, uh, a family, you know, two kids and mom and dad that have never played anything like this before that still think of, you know, the Monopoly as the board game kind of thing like yeah. having them act out a story is always going to be impossible like right. so it's, it's just up to us to develop an experience that can be played and interpreted different by differently by different groups and also you know groups that are here for it get very rewarded by it like do you ever actually give individual players individual identities or roles within the story we haven't yet, but it's something we've seen in a few escape rooms. Um, we kind of did for one of our Gen Con games, but it oh, wasn't yeah. super integral to the story. Mm -hmm. uh, we've played one pretty famous escape room that's done that really well is uh, the Crossroads Room out in L.A. area. Um, they have you take a little uh, personality test, like a very short personality test. Uh, test at the very beginning and then you're assigned a role uh, and it's all like teen movie tropes like the nerd and the jock and the popular girl um but their room is a little bit different because it's you're divided up into smaller rooms um and then you have to work together uh which i think i think works really really well for them it's something we've been thinking about i know a lot of a lot of escape rooms are thinking about doing stuff like that because it increases replayability yeah um, yeah, seems like it would. If we can make it something that all audiences can approach, or something that is totally optional as an experience just for the teams that will appreciate it, I think we'll have kind of cracked the problem. And we're kind of close to that. But yeah, yeah. we did have a small social deduction game as part of our uh, Aliens in the Antarctic uh, game, Station Gamma, we brought to Gen Con last year. There's our cats. Someone cat is not happy. Yeah. I thought you're. I thought that the aliens had showed up, and then yeah, no, it's the, it's the standard the thing scenario going yeah. on here. I wouldn't worry about it. We have our sound <laughs> game. So, so um, some of the escape room tabletop games. You know, do you guys have any recommendations for for anybody out there? Any, any stuff you've tried? Yeah. Uh, so the probably the. There's one called Escape Room in a Box, The Werewolf Experiment, and it made a lot of waves. Um, it's probably the largest, most built out of the Escape Room games. Um, and it was a pretty good experience. Um, it had more props built in. It was a bit more expensive for something that could only be played once. Um, there are a few deck-based games out there. Uh, I really like, I'm trying to think of what their name is. They're all kind of generic sounding, which isn't great. Yeah, Unlock. Unlock, yeah. They're the same developer. 
developers as uh, time stories, which we mentioned earlier. Uh, so I think a lot of the same people are working on it. Um, they're pretty fun, uh, and it's an easy game to, when you're finished, you can just pass it to another group. Yeah, those are really nice because it's just a deck of cards that are numbered, so you just, you know, you start with, I don't know, the first card or whatever, and it tells you if you do this, go to card whatever, if you do this, go to card whatever. Um, and then it gets more complicated than that, but you don't have to destroy anything. Um, okay. I think that's... So, like, places around the, uh, so places around the, uh, like, little room you get as a deck of cards, you'll, one of the, the cards will be looking at an east or west wall. Uh, so places around the room are numbered separately, and then, uh, depending on where you decide to look, then draw that numbered card from the deck. So if you want to look at the door, you draw card 36, and it's a close-up of the door, a description of what you see, or a part of the puzzle. And then the game also has tricky ways to point you towards different other numbers or punish you uh, if you are just making weird random guesses um, with trap cards that are around that if you decide to work your way through the deck. It's, it's a really neat mechanic. Um, so I, I really like that one because of its, not replayability, but the fact that you can play it and then you can just hand it off to some other friends who didn't play it with you, uh, and then they can play it. Yeah. Oh, nice, yeah. That's nice from a value perspective, because you hate to buy a, a box game and play it once. Yeah. Right, and I, I, do, I actually have Escape Room in a box, The Werewolf Experiment. I can see it from right here. Uh, I've never opened it, because uh, I was like waiting for that, like, I want to play this with a good group of people. Um, so so it's good to know that you did think it was fun. Uh, the, I followed the Kickstarter. Uh, that's where I got it off was the Kickstarter. And um, yeah. So. I heard the Kickstarter version was better than the one we had. So um, we have okay. some super fans that, uh, that I've talked about it with before. Um, and, uh, and yeah, they said they played both versions and the Kickstarter one was better. Cool. Well, I have the Kickstarter version. Rob, we should do that sometime. That'd be fun. Nah, I'm not interested. <laughs> this is what it's been like for like seven years dealing with Rob now, just for the record. <sighs> uh, yeah, it's been four or five players. I think if you got more than that, it, you just have too many people that are sitting around too often. Right, right. So, so one last question I want to ask you guys before we let you talk about um, an escape room experience that was really good for you guys. Um, the what? What do you think the key is? Uh, and I know this is hard to answer probably with one key, but uh, what what do you think the key is to um, to uh, creating a, a, um, good puzzles that can be done within that allotted time, you know, kind of leading to the next thing? What what do you guys strive for to do that? Hmm. That's a good question. I think... Uh... I mean, it's like any other puzzle. And, you know, escape room puzzles are like any other puzzle design. The, the core of it is the aha moment. You want it to be just the right level of difficulty where when you first approach it, and I'm definitely stealing from Mike Selinker's book here, uh, when you first approach it, it should seem like it's so difficult that it doesn't make any sense. And then as you start to put the pieces together... You should have that moment where you realize, oh, I see it. I see this pattern. It's spread out. But if I just do these things, it'll all come together. And that moment, I mean, that aha moment.
keeps people coming back to escape rooms because you get to feel that that surge of adrenaline and dopamine, you know, go through your brain as you figure something out uh, a bunch of times in an hour. Um, and I think making sure a puzzle has that moment is is probably the biggest thing for me. Yeah, and trying to design around the possibility that groups will get too many of those falsely. Like, and players will focus on all sorts of different weird things that aren't really red herrings, but if you're sure enough... Rabbit holes. Yeah, yeah, rabbit holes in design. Uh, for me, it's a lot about designing for the space. So if we are going to have a team of two or three play this game, how will they play this game? Will there be holdups? Will there be things that are too disparate? Uh, and in that very same game, we might have eight to ten players come in, and there may be some changes we make between those two versions of the game uh, if we know it'll help player experience. But mostly, like, the thing that I hate the most is uh, we get a full group together for an escape room, and it feels like most people are standing around most of the time. So mm -hmm. being able to get a nice measure between linear puzzle A, puzzle B, puzzle C, puzzle D design and a non-linear design where lots of things are available at once without too many things being available at once or else you'll get totally lost. Um, it's, it's a delicate balance, but making sure that like, if we know we have something cool, we don't want to stick it in a corner where only two people can interact or see it at once. Like right. that's not fun. Like even if you only need one or two people to look at it, um, it's not exciting for people to feel like they're missing out. Yeah, and the other thing I think that, that Chris focuses on a lot, which I really admire, is making sure that every player has a moment to be the hero. Mm -hmm. um, making sure that everyone has a moment where they feel like they did the thing, they saved the day because they found this, or they figured out that, or they, you know, did yeah. whatever. If I'm not conscious about it when I'm playing cooperative games, I totally go into quarterbacking mode. So I'm very aware of how to punish, not punish people, but how to design around people being able to do that yeah. in the game rooms. Like, so if we have a moment where they find a key that they've been looking for, someone runs, grabs the key out of someone else's hand and needs to be the one to open it, there's still something around that space for the rest of the team to do that's productive. Uh, so you don't end up trailing around a, a grabby player or uh, something like that the entire time. Yeah. Right. No, that's, that is good advice. That makes a lot of sense. Let me ask one more question here. Um, since, since you mentioned red herrings, and in the rooms that I've played in, I, I have found that there's some rooms where they will just fill the room with with clues and little little games or things that just don't have anything to do with the story. So I guess I find that really irritating. So am I being unreasonable by being irritated by that? I don't know how I should feel about those things. Well, I guess it depends. If it's just decoration, if there aren't, like, active clues on it, you shouldn't need to focus on it. But, like, if it's, if, like you said, it's a game or something where you can take something and do something with it that makes sense and it doesn't reward you, then then it starts getting into red herring territory. Yeah, we've, uh, we've struggled to find the balance between production design and uh, puzzle efficiency, I think. Uh, our, our very early games had a lot of production design because we wanted them to feel authentic and real. Um, in our newer games, we've, we've worked around that, and I think done a better job of making things feel real 
without cluttering the shelves with books that players are just going to flip through. Um, and we also try to kind of couch that in the intro. We always say something like, you know, there are clues that are going to point you to what you need. We're never going to expect you to look through every page of a book and pick out that a single word is underlined on page whatever, unless there's a clue that tells you to look at page whatever in that book. Um, so I think, I think that's kind of on all of us. I think designers need to be good at um, being cognizant of that and giving appropriate clues and hints, but also players, you know, need to not go down rabbit holes. Uh, or know when you are. Or know when you're going down a rabbit yeah. hole that doesn't make sense. And then there's some bad apples out there we hear about every once in a while where, like, puzzles have been actively decommissioned or puzzled around because they're broken, but some of the clues are still in the game that, yeah, like, tell you to look at a place and then tell you to go to another place, and then it's like there's not a third thing to do because it broke three months ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, that's like, bad. The first room I ever did, there was, it was like, you know, some spy thing, doesn't matter. Anyway, and, and there was a briefcase that was full of note cards, and there was a, a black light uh, uh, or an infrared light on, on one of the walls. And if you would hold these note cards up to the infrared light, and the, and the invisible ink would glow. And it, and it was all these elaborate codes and things. And we got to the end of the game and realized that we never used that, that all that stuff was in there for no reason. And we probably spent 20 minutes just trying to decipher this code until we moved on to the other thing. That's insane. Yeah. I could see something like that. If you were trying to hide one of the cards being important for a reason you don't like realize until later, but like to not use it entirely is insane. Yeah. Okay, so I'm justified to be upset by that. I, I, thank you. As official escape room owners, we, uh, we officially yeah. Let me make that Okay, all right. Good. The, um, the, uh, I, you know, I like how you guys talked about those aha moments. We, uh, my first time in an escape room was this uh, like hacker takes over the world. You're trying to like get out of his apartment or something. Um, but the, story, I mean, the story wasn't that engaging, um, but... There's a there's a door to another room, so you're like, oh, I bet at some point I'm going to open this door, and and we do, and there's a whole other you know smaller room, but but b- bigger than I think we expected in there, and we're like, oh, this is really cool, and we're like, okay, so this is the space, and then and the last like four minutes of the game, we did win, but it was uh, we realized that like a bookshelf opened, and there was a whole other freaking room, and like that moment, like of holy crap, <laughs> there's yeah. more. Um, and there wasn't yeah, much our- in that room, but, but it was great feeling like we figured this out. Like there wasn't a door, it was a bookshelf and we had to put in a code and it moved. That was cool. So yeah. Yeah. Our most popular game, uh, the cabin at our uh, old location, that is the game has since been decommissioned. Uh, it was great because it was in a very, very strange space and, and the way the building was laid out was just very weird. And so no one really expected our fireplace to move and for there to be, like, a, a murder room behind it. So that was great. And nice. that happened in the first 15 minutes of the game. And so then when uh, the closet in there opened and there was a second secret room, everybody flipped out every time because the space just did not make sense for there to be another room back there. Um, and that, that was, I think, part of the reason why that room was so successful, just because people didn't expect two secret doors. The other part is, as far as I could tell, we were the first escape room anywhere that had a ball pit. Yeah, that was pretty cool, too. <laughs> that is awesome. We used it to replicate 
the idea of having to crawl into a furnace and pick a bunch of bones out, but yeah. we didn't want it to be too spooky, so it was kind of like a cross between weird McDonald's play place and, like, horror murder room. <laughs> you can custom order just black ball pit balls. Yeah. It's really expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so this has all been a big, uh, big ad to figure out what we're supposed to do with 9,000 ball pit balls. Now yeah. that those have been decommissioned. Yep. I, I got nothing. Wow. <laughs> I I could use those if if they were green, but um. So unfortunately, um. Spray paint, Jason. No, no. I no. I'm gonna need actually green. Um. Uh, I know a guy. <laughs> I'll, uh, the company was great. It, it was, was just like ballpitballs.com or something. <laughs> yeah, something. It was like something that. super generic. Nice, nice. So um. It was great. It was the funniest thing ever when we bought them because we we wanted to tell everyone we had just spent like a thousand dollars on ball pit balls, but we had to keep it a secret because it was in the last room of this game that we were debuting, and so we had to wait until we had uh, play tested with our friends so we could tell. Yeah, them. for a long time it was our single most expensive like line item purchase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, let's. Uh, so we'd love to hear uh, about um, about what you two consider the the greatest escape room you've ever done or created. What whatever you uh, you like. Um, yeah. So let's uh, let's have you talk about that. I want to know what impresses you two. Greatest is hard, but we can talk about impressive. Yeah, we can talk about sure. impressive. That works. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, we're. We're going down to New Orleans to play uh, some games down in Baton Rouge and New Orleans, and uh, they are supposed to be. They're supposed amazing. to be uh, like the, among the best in the world. So uh, this this might change after this episode comes out. But uh, last year we went to LA and played a bunch of games out there, and we went to um, the basement, which is super popular, and played their elevator shaft room. It was really cool. Yeah, this room is bonkers. So, like, puzzle-wise, it was a little weak, but it had the most cinematic, you are living out a real-life experience that you want to get out of experience that, like, I could ever think of. Yeah. So all of the the basement's rooms are uh, in one storyline. The basement was chapter one, and then they came out with the study and the elevator shaft, and they all kind of focus on the idea that uh, you have been taken by this crazy silly serial killer man, and he has imprisoned you, and you have to get out. So first you get out of the basement, and then you find yourself somewhere else in the house. And then you get out of the study, and you find yourself someplace else. And this one, you find yourself at the bottom of an elevator shaft, and the elevator is going to fall down on you. Yeah. Oh. whole time, the ceiling <laughs> is coming down. Yeah, the ceiling uh, is pneumatic, and like every couple of minutes or whatever, it shakes and descends by a few inches. At the same time, um, things we do in the game triggers water to gurgle up from the floor, uh, steam or smoke, fog machine, yeah. to like spray us in the face. Um, it involves crawling uh, backwards through a shaft where there's water underneath you and dripping on you. Like, they literally tell you to not wear open-toed shoes for this game because your yeah. feet are going to get wet from all the water that's gurgling underneath. It's gross, but amazing. Doing, like, puzzly challenges in this very, uh, like, an intense dexterity challenge or yeah. something while doing all of this is 
bonkers. And at the same time, the company is committed to like a level of immersiveness that I think probably hurts their experience a little bit, but for us was great. They don't offer any hints. You are just in there. Yeah. Like, so some of their other games have live actors in them, and the live actors are able to help a little bit here and there. Uh, but Elevator Chef doesn't have a live actor in it, so you're just you're just in there doing your thing. Yeah, at no point, unless you break the rules and they think you're going to hurt yourself or break something, uh, in which case the game's immediately over and you're kicked out, at no point is it addressed as a game. Like, once you are in, yeah. you are in the experience. There's no, like, timer ticking down on the wall that's digital readout or something. There's no uh, GM game master over like a loudspeaker answering questions if you're getting hung up or if you have the right combination to a lock but it's not opening. Like you're just in the experience, um, and we wanted to get out. Like it was, there were uncomfortable moments. There were parts that I did not want to be in there. Yeah, so we actively wanted to get the f out of that game. Yeah, um, and it was great. Like it was. Better in retrospect, but like we got on the leaderboard. We uh, did, yeah. Yeah, we kicked butt as a team of two, which is tough for some of the larger games. Yeah, this uh, game, I think this is a good good for a team of two to four. I wouldn't want to put more people than that in it. It's crazy. It's like amazing. Sounds like it was you real end up with PTSD from doing an escape room. <laughs> My goodness. No, it was like their whole like shtick is these are intense experiences. Yeah, yeah, they're all real intense horror, you know, scary, scary games. Um, the basement is is pretty famous and pretty well known, and it generally isn't our thing that we love, like ser- like quote unquote serious horror, like goofy stuff's great, yeah. but like this just blew us away in how much it was the experience. Yeah, there was nothing that was like yeah out of the game. Yeah. It wow. was super impressive. Wow. Yeah, that's that sounds amazing. I mean that is that is a level of realism I guess I didn't think I expected from an escape room. So wow. I don't think it's something you could get away with in very many places, but like uh the the Hollywood level sets that you could do out there for yeah. production designers. Yeah. And well, yeah, and of course, you know, fire safety laws vary from state to state, so whether or not you're going to have, you know, sprinklers in the rooms or whatever is going to be, you know, there's there's different things that allow different states to make it easier or harder for escape yeah. rooms to do stuff like that. We just uh, we just got out of having to have our original building in Urbana, Illinois. Uh, we had drop ceilings in all the rooms, and it was killing us yeah. to, to have that kind of feature that we couldn't really design around. So we're super excited in our new building. We yeah. were able to to do some different things. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, I, I'm, gosh, I'm, yeah, I really, really, really want to go to Champaign-Urbana now, like tomorrow, and play these games. Uh, do it. Rob, yeah, road trip, really man. Road trip. The roads are great out, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good night for it, yeah. <laughs> Um, all right. Uh, well, hey, I want to give you a chance to, um, to, to plug the escape room. I know we've said the name and stuff, but how can people find, um, find the escape room online? Uh, any information you would give out that you want to give? Yeah. So, um, the business name, Champagne Urbana Adventures in Time and Space. Our website is cuadventures.com. So the letter C and the letter U. 
adventures.com. And we have like a big Facebook presence. We have a middling Instagram presence. Um, it's mostly just group photos and stuff. Uh, but if you're ever passing through central Illinois, we're south of Chicago, west of Indianapolis, uh, east of St. Louis. Yep. Uh, stop in. And uh, for the past, we didn't really talk about it too much uh, on this episode, but for the past several years, we have had a presence at Gen Con doing escape room games there. Uh, nothing's been announced for this year, but I imagine we will be back. Um, so feel free to come check us out at Gen Con as well. Yeah, they are super ridiculous. They usually sell out pretty fast, but yeah. we might be doing something real crazy this year. So we'll see. Yeah, I know that I've, I've heard that they tend to sell it very quickly. Are you guys running those like 24 hours a day there? Uh, 9 a.m. to 10 or 11 p.m., so not, not 24 hours a day, but a lot. Yeah. <laughs> right. Last year we brought four 45-minute rooms, and we just basically started them every, every 15 hour. minutes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, every hour for each one, so it was... Every yeah. 15 minutes from 9 to, to 10 or so. We were launching a new game. Yeah, we have a pretty big staff, and we run them all day. That's so amazing, yeah. You know, you guys gave me a tour two years ago, maybe, of what you had there, and I was just blown away, blown away by because that wasn't, I mean, that was portable, which made it even yeah. crazier. Yeah, it's real dumb. Yeah, it helps the Gen Con so close. Like, it's just a two-hour drive from here. Yeah, we kind of consider it our local convention because, I mean, it, there's not a lot of escape room companies that could, you know, trailer up and just take real intense sets to Gen Con. Right. So, uh, so, yeah, it's real dumb, though, for sure. <laughs> Realize that you forgot some key part to a thing. You can send someone back to get it and bring it back. Yeah, pretty much. Well, and, you know, Champagne Arena sends a huge contingent to Gen Con anyway, between the film festival and uh, the gaming community here. We have a, a really strong board game design community. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, we've got we've got a large crew that if we forget something, we can just be like, hey, stop by and grab the thing. But, yeah, awesome. we, uh, we load up two 20-foot U-Hauls and set them up somewhere in the convention, uh, depending on what room they give us. And uh, run that for four days. So dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you keep it's doing it. It's uh, it's about uh, it's at the level that True Dungeon delivers. Uh, if you play True Dungeon, um, just a smaller space because yeah. uh, we don't have the kind of footprint they do. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Awesome. Well, we are about out of time here, so. Um, uh, I'm going to go through the, the spiel that we always do at the end of the episode. But, hey, thank you again, uh, Ann and Chris, for, for joining us and uh, talking to us about this. We really appreciate it. It's really cool. Really cool. Rob? Oh, happy to. Rob, any final thoughts on your side? Uh, no, now I want to go do more escape rooms. That's all. I know, right? I want to go do theirs, but I'm afraid if we do, we won't want to do other ones around here. <laughs> well, it's kind of a long way for us. It too. is. It is, yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, you can – I never do this part of the show. Rob does this part, but I'm going to do it. It's going to be great. <laughs> if you want to get in a hold of us, you can do that by emailing us at buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. You can go to our website, buildingthegamepodcast.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at, at podcastbtg. I am at J.A. Slingerland. Rob is at poorly underscore designed. Uh, you can call us at 770-TELL-BTG and uh, leave a great message where you say lots of mean stuff about us if you'd like. That's cool. We don't mind. Uh, we'll play it, probably. Um, especially if you swear and Rob has to bleep it a lot. That always makes my day. 
And uh, you can uh, like us on Facebook uh, and all the other social media places, I'm pretty sure, uh, on the uh, podcast places. So uh, that is all. And uh, good night. Building the Game is a co-production of Imminent Entertainment and Poorly Designed Studios. All of the ideas presented by Rob and Jason are property of the Building the Game podcast. Next time on Building the Game. There's a spare chance our cat will be weirded out by us talking <laughs> to someone and we'll start meowing a lot. Uh, we can put her away if that happens. Yeah. Just we, let us know. Rob will probably not cut that out because that's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fine. At some point, my cat might bang on the door to my office, so we'll just deal with it. It's fine. Yeah, if we close her out of anywhere, she'll just meow really loud for two hours. Yep. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. I, I know the feeling. All right. Well, we'll try not to bring it up then. We'll just let it happen. <laughs>